apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him. He determined that we would be adopted into his family as sons. He accepted us in the beloved to the praise of the glory of his grace. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. We are studying Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 in our lesson with Dr. Mitchell today. After hearing about the four things the Father has done in and through Christ for us in verses 3 through 6, we next look at the Son, through whom God has brought about our redemption. And in verses 7 through 12, we will see the work of the Son of God. But let me ask you now, are you in need of forgiveness? Well, Dr. Mitchell quotes more than 10 different verses from the scriptures concerning the fact that Jesus died for our sins, and therefore God does not remember our sins anymore, forever. Now, that is good news. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Good day, friends. We rejoice again in the privilege that is mine of coming to you with simple studies in the book of Ephesians, this great revelation which God gave to the Apostle Paul and which he wrote to the Ephesian church, the revelation of the church, the body of Christ. And the first thing he takes up is this matter of redemption in the first chapter. We have been following through from verse 3 through verse 6 the work of the Father in our redemption. And we give you four words. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us to be holy and without blame before him. He determined to adopt us into his family as his sons. And then he accepted us in the beloved. And all that Christ is, we stand before God. It's all done according to the good pleasure of his will. It's, it's done 
to the praise of the glory of his grace. Think of it. He did it because of his own glory. He did it because of his own sovereign will. He did it because he loved you and me, because he loves men and women. And may I say, he still loves men and women. I can't help but think of that verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's about the fourth verse. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Or that verse in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why doesn't God come in wrath today? Why doesn't God come in judgment today? As one sees the, uh, the way the world is going in its corruption, why doesn't God step into the picture, do something? Well, you remember in Isaiah 23, when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants thereof learn righteousness. Why doesn't God come in his judgments today? No, no. We are living in a day when God is manifesting grace and mercy, long-suffering, tenderness, compassion for men and women. He still loves men and women. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why I'm talking to you today. He's not going to send an angel to tell you. He takes redeemed sinners and uses them. And as a servant of the Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ, I present to you these facts which he has in the Word of God. You may know that God has made the provision whereby you and I can pass from death to life. Now from verse 7 through verse 12, we have the work of the Son of God in our redemption. What the Father purposed, the Son worked out. We've been dealing with the will of God to the praise of the glory of His grace according to the good pleasure of His will. Now we see how it's worked out. And there are four things about the Son. This last lesson we had, we were dealing with the question of redemption in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood. He bought us for the purpose of setting us free and eternal liberation from sin in its bondage and in its curse, to set us free eternally from the fear and bondage of death. That's why he gives eternal life to those who put their trust in him. And to set us eternally free from the powers of darkness and of hell. We've been emancipated, set free, on the ground that God loved you enough to send his son to die, to shed his blood, to redeem us from all iniquity so that he can purify to himself a people for his possession. And he paid for it. And he paid enough for it. It's an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 12. He bought for us, he purchased for us an eternal redemption. And again, I want to press upon your heart. It's not your value of the work of Christ. That's the important thing. It's the great value that God has put upon the work of his son. It's what God sees in the cross that's important, not what you and I see. And the more I see of what God sees in the cross and what God has in the cross in the work of his son, my friend, the more I appreciate his wonderful love, his marvelous grace. 
I can't get over the tenderness and compassion, long-suffering of God to us men and women. So we come to the second thing the Son has done for us. Verse 7, not only do we have redemption through his blood, but we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now here it is divine forgiveness. Uh, you and I must recognize there cannot be sin in heaven. God's holy character never changes. It's unchangeable. And sin must be put away. No man or woman can stand in the presence of God with sin. And let's, get be, let's be very clear upon this. People say to me when I witness concerning the Savior to men and women, Well, Mr. Mitchell, you know, I'm not so bad. Uh, I can stand before God. I've done more good than I've done bad, and etc., etc. My friend, you couldn't stand before God for one second. Even though you had lived a perfect life and then just sinned once, the holy character, the righteous character of God demands death for the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's not a question of the amount of sin you've performed. It's a fact of sin. And your good works before God are looked upon as filthy rags, not even laundered rags. Filthy rags. Let's get this thing very, very clear in our mind. Here we're dealing with divine forgiveness. And it's a forgiveness that's so wonderful. It's different from your forgiveness. You know, you and I can forgive somebody. Somebody does something to you and you say, well, I forgive you. But back in your mind you're saying, but I'll never forget it. Isn't that so? Isn't that so? We forgive, but we don't forget. Somebody may do something to you and, and you feel very badly about it and there's a barrier comes between you and this one and you say, well, I'm going to forgive you. But it's never the same, is it? The fellowship is never the same. It always sticks in your mind, in your craw. I remember what they did to me. I remember what they said about me and I won't forget it either. That's the attitude people take. That's not divine forgiveness. My friend, when God forgives, he forgets. It's rather remarkable that in two chapters of the book of Hebrews, chapter 8 and chapter 10, chapter 10, 17, we read, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more forever. You see, your forgiveness and God's forgiveness are two different things. You and I don't have the capacity to forget. And sometimes people love the fact that they don't forget what somebody's done to them. It's a choice morsel under their tongue. This is not true of God. We're talking about divine forgiveness. I've had people say to me, why, Mr. Mitchell, God... God must remember our sins because I can remember my sins, what I did. I can remember some things I did when I was a boy and when I was a man. Surely if I can remember, God does too. No, you're talking about two different things. You and I do not have the capacity to both forgive and to forget. 
but God does. We're talking about divine forgiveness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more forever. Do you know, we used to sing a little song one time, when God forgives, he forgets. When God forgives, he forgets. No more he remembers our sins. When God forgives, he forgets. You see, if Christ bore all our sins, then God must forgive all our sins. In 1 Peter 2.24, he bare our sins in his own body on the cross. In 1 Peter 3.18, he gave himself for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He gave himself for our sins. Oh, I take that precious verse in Isaiah 53.6. Do you remember it? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him all our iniquity. Uh, you have it in Hebrews 1.3, when he had by himself purged our sins. In Hebrews 10, 12, this man by one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 9, 26, he appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin. And if he, if he didn't put them all away, there would not be divine forgiveness. If he didn't put them all away, there would be no salvation. No wonder when you come to your New Testament. The very first promise in the New Testament is what? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You have it in 1 John 3.5. You know he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. The 103rd Psalm, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And one can multiply the scriptures. Wonderful, wonderful thing. It's final, it's complete, it's eternal. And I tell you, my friend, sin is removed by a miracle of God. No wonder we read in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, you notice in the verse, he forgives us according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. In 2.7, he's going to show forth the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us by Christ Jesus. And when you come to, to the, the third chapter we have, not only riches of grace, but riches of glory. He's going to make us exceeding powerfully strong according to his riches in glory. 
What I'm trying to get to your heart, my friend, riches of grace proceed from the cross. Complete. Riches of glory proceed from the throne. That's for my present need. As Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Can I just stop a minute? You think about it, will you? We'll be mentioned again in chapter 3 more than likely. Riches of grace proceed from the cross. And we have forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. For my present need, daily need, he meets my need according to his riches in glory. This proceeds from the throne, from a risen, exalted Savior. At the cross, he did a perfect work and cleansed us, redeemed us, and forgave us every sin for time and for eternity, never again to be remembered on the ground of the riches of his grace. But now I'm in frailty here on earth. I'm still on earth. You are still on earth. We're still in bodies that fail God. We're frail. We're weak. We sin. We disobey. What shall I do now? Go back to the cross? Oh, no. That was settled once for all forever. I come now to the throne, to my Savior. I confess my sins. And on the ground of what he has done, he cleanses me from all unrighteousness, forgives me every sin, and fellowship is restored. Relationship is established through his work on the cross. Fellowship is dependent upon a daily walk with God. And when I feel him as his child, as a Christian, I confess it to him and my Father forgives me on the ground that Christ has already put away that sin. This has to do with fellowship. This has to do with communion. I hope I've made myself very clear to you. Now, may I suggest uh, one more thing in the passage? We have forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. Now, in Ephesians 4.32, we have forgiveness for Christ's sake. Now, this is true of all believers, where Paul says, be, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And on the ground of what he's done for us, we should do the same thing for our brother when he fails us. Be tender-hearted. Be kind one to another. Forgiving one another. Why? Even for Christ's sake, who hath forgiven you. God has forgiven you for Christ's sake. Now you forgive your brother. Now in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, we have forgiveness for his name's sake. We have forgiveness for his name's sake. This is it true of all believers? This proceeds from the cross. We're forgiven according to the riches of his grace. We are forgiven for Christ's sake. And we are forgiven for his name's sake. So we can sing with real, real joy and with real praise to God. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. 
Oh, Christian friend, why don't you revel in this? This wonderful, wonderful truth, not only of redemption, but of forgiveness. And again, allow me to repeat that little, little chorus on this question of forgiveness. When God forgives, he forgets. When God forgives, he forgets. No more he remembers my sin. When God forgives, he forgets. Now remember, I'm talking about forgiveness with respect to the cross. Forgiveness for a Christian is dependent upon confession. If I'm talking to any man or a woman today and you've never accepted the Savior, may I say, I don't care what your past has been. I don't care what your life is. I know one thing, if you mean business with God, he surely means business with you. And God is in the saving business. He's not going to force his salvation upon you, but when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you put your trust in him, or you obey, for example, the appeal of our Lord in Matthew 11, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will forgive every one of your sins. Or take John 5, 24, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and note, and will not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Why don't we come into judgment? Because Christ at the cross perfectly satisfied divine righteousness and put away every one of your sins and my sins. This is good news. This is good news. And all he says to as many, to as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God, adopts you into his family, forgives you every sin, redeems you out of all iniquity, and makes you his child, accepts you in the beloved, and declares you're going to stand before him holy and without blame. Who would turn down such a savior? Who would reject such an offer of eternal forgiveness? Of an eternal redemption? My friend, the greatest thing you could do to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, as your own personal Savior. And immediately, you pass from death to life. Immediately, you have divine forgiveness. Immediately, you're joined to the eternal God, into his family. Now it's a question of fellowship. Having accepted the Savior, what shall I do? Walk in fellowship with him. This is what God wants. Oh, but Mr. Mitchell, I'm so frail, and I've sinned. That's right, that may be true. But now on the ground of confession as a child of God, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and your fellowship is restored and now go on with God because he's forgiven you and he's cleansed you. And the one thing God wants of us Christians is our fellowship. And the one thing he wants of you who have never accepted the Savior is for you to accept the divine pardon which is found only one place. That's in Jesus Christ, God's precious Son. So won't you put your trust in him and pass 
from death to life. And believer in Christ, don't go out, don't, don't go through this day out of fellowship with God. He's made the provision. And thank God on the ground of redemption, he not only forgives you, but he cleanses you. And may you enjoy him today. And may you have that peace that passeth all understanding. And the Lord bless you for his name's sake. Listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.